This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Damsels Who Discuss. I'm Gally. I'm Alexia. And we're discussing Disney. More Disney. But not animated. Again. Aha! Fooled you! You thought this was going to be another animated Disney podcast because you don't read the title before you play the episode. I mean, it is, like, it's partially animated. It's kind of animated. It is kind of animated. It's, like, Mary Poppins also had some animated elements to it. Yes. And these were added specifically because I requested them. Like, they're not actually included in the Disney animated classics canon, if you will. It's okay. We can go off script. I certainly don't mind. <laughs> Wait. What's uh, anything new with you in the world? Uh, it was lovely to see you in person. It was so nice. The weather was really nice, too. Yeah. Very different today. It's all cloudy and gloomy and the perfect um, Halloween-y weather because that's when we're recording it. It's like that out here as well. Um, so it's it's kind of funny. So it's been raining in Austin for um, the first time in a while, mm-hmm. which one of those things was like, we, we really fucking needed the rain. It was very droughty around here. It was getting concerning. Um, but it rained a lot over a few days. There's been a ton of flash flooding and a ton of like washout of the mud and the sediment and stuff. But that also means it's been humid as fuck. And it was, yeah, it was gross. And it was super humid this morning. Then I went to the grocery store and it rained. And then as soon as I got back, a very literal cold front blew in. I have never felt that literally happen before in my life. See, for me, if I hear that, if I hear sudden change in like barometric pressure, I'm like, okay, are we getting a tornado? Like that's (laughs) that's a warning sign. (laughs) There have been tornado warnings in Texas. There have been, um, there's, I think one touchdown, not in Austin proper, but like, somewhere east of austin but yeah there's been crazy weather but yeah i felt a literal cold flood it was like mary poppins it was all of a sudden like oh jesus did you look up and you're like do i spot her do i spot the poppins i did look for something magical but sadly nothing magical this way came oh i'm sorry well same speaking of magical it is the most magical time of year it is halloween time time we're recording this right before Halloween, um, and I'm certainly in the spirit by wearing a Hocus Pocus shirt. I'm That's... not. I I love it. <laughs> I was at a Halloween party yesterday, though, so that counts. I was Daria Morgendorfer. Ooh, okay. I love that. I have a Jane costume. So, of course... <laughs> that is that is amazing at some point we're gonna have to dress up as daria and jane yeah maybe next year we actually plan to do halloween in person that'd be so fucking fun that'd be amazing uh, that'd be awesome but did, hmm? uh did your partner go as trent no he was mario no he wasn't mario he was um luigi uh, <laughs> no he was a member of the ferrari's f1 racing team oh that's very different from mario he was going to be mario originally but couldn't find overalls i love it literally the day of so that's why i was like no he was something else very red (laughs) i can't go with mario Uh, i don't know racing it was like red with a 
Yeah, it's red with a hat. Red with a red hat. Red shirt, red yeah. hat. It's just a different, different vibe. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, if you had both worn um, red shirts, you guys could have gone as like a team from Legends of the Hidden Temple. Oh, that's true. Except I would have needed to have been like a version, like a skating version of a red shirt, but still involved. Oh, on a challenge. <laughs> Something like that. No, I was just Daria. It worked. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I liked it. Well, like we said, we're not talking about an animated movie today. No. Do you want to tell us what we are talking about? We are talking about the 1971 movie Bedknobs and Broomsticks starring the late, the great, the forever beloved Angela Lansbury. Oh, Mrs. Potts to my heart forever. Mm, Angela Lansbury. I think this is the first time that we start seeing her in the Disney films. The next time we see her, I believe, isn't until, as you mentioned, um, I almost said Lady and the Tramp, Beauty <laughs> and the Beast. Ugh. It's kind of a different version of Lady and the Tramp, isn't it? Slightly. <laughs> I'm actually Googling. Yeah. I want to see if she was in any other Disney films. Yeah, that's actually a good good question. Well, I would definitely want you to get to the... um. The summary of Bedknobs and Broomsticks, because I'm trying to, I think we might need to amend our second question of what was your relationship with this movie as a kid to also what was your relationship with Angela Lansbury as a kid? Because it seems like we all had her in our childhood. That's fair. Um, I did my traditional style of um, two summaries. I'm, they don't, I don't think they're very good. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Bedknobs and Broomsticks is a 1971 partially animated movie that stars the incomparable Angela Lansbury as an apprentice witch who is suddenly forced to take in three orphan children during the Blitz of the 1940s. With an enchanted bedknob and the help of her headmaster, Amelius Brown, the four of them embark on a magical journey through real and animated lands in search of the spell for substitutionary locomotion. Once they find the spell, Miss Price uses it to enchant a museum's worth of armor to chase away a small Nazi invasion. Realizing that they're all the family they've been looking for, they make a little unit out of their shared adventures in fantasy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but Bedknobs and Broomstick is also a highly underrated romp through witchcraft and imagination that more people need to see. After losing their parents and then their aunt, Carrie Charles and Paul Rollins find themselves in the tiny town of Pepperidge Eye when they're placed under the guardianship of Angela Lansbury, who plays Eglantine Price, an apprentice witch who just wants to live alone in her awesome house with her cat, Cosmic Creepers. But the kids are super nosy and decide to blackmail Miss Price once they discover that she's a witch, because that's a smart thing to do when you encounter people who can visibly use magic. But after coming to an understanding and a friendship, Miss Price gives them a traveling bed knob which can take them anywhere, and they rush off to London to find her teacher, Professor Amelius Brown, who they discover is just a traveling magician who copied the spells he was selling out of some old book, which is a great way to get both demons and ghosts, honestly, just like sending spells out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. But totally. Yeah, but in this world, it's like it just seems to be totally fine. Like, um, it, it like nothing seems to happen. But they, um, because they track down the other half of the book he was using to a murderer and find out that they have to go find an island of animated talking animals if they want the spell that Miss Price is really after—the ability to make inanimate objects come to life. 
After watching the weirdest sports ball match in history played by said animated animals, they steal the magic spell and use it just in time for some Nazis to drop in. And Professor Brown decides that fatherhood is potentially terrifying, if not more terrifying than the Nazis themselves. Yes. But yes, he turns around (laughs) just in time and comes back to help Miss Price cast the spell that revives every suit of armor in what seems to be a 30 mile radius to come out and chase off the little Nazi invasion. Once magic demonstrates to be powerful, more powerful than anything else, in fact, Mr. Brown decides to be properly involved and stay with the family because he has fallen in love. But he immediately goes off to serve in the war, leaving Miss Price, the kids, and the magic bed knob behind. Yeah, I have so many thoughts on the ending of this film. But I will wait. (laughs) Until we get to the ending of this film? Until we get to the end. I'll save my comments till the end of the end. Okay. But that's, I think that those were both apt descriptions. I think so. I mean, obviously I'm missing a lot, but the overarching plot is, is, is that. Yeah. But yeah, back to, back to the question of the hour. What was your relationship with this movie as a kid? And Angela Lansbury, how do you remember her best? I remember her best um, in person as this role. You know, um, I saw Beauty and the Beast when I was young, you know, in the 90s, about when this movie was re-released on VHS. But, you know, Mrs. Potts doesn't look like Angela Lansbury. Mrs. Potts looks like a teapot. You know, there's no recognizability in her. But in this, she's playing herself live action. So I recognize her from this. And I remember this movie, um, I'll get into a little bit later, but as it turns out, this movie was re-released on VHS in the mid 90s. So that's definitely when I would have seen it growing up. Um, And I remember my mom introducing it to me. I think she saw this growing up and really, really liked it because my mom was born in the 60s. So, you know, she would have been a young girl too when this actually came out. And I, I really liked it from the first time I saw it. I loved this movie. Yeah, I guess your mom would have been around 11 years old when it came out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that makes total sense. I So I'll admit that aside from um, Murder, She Wrote, which <laughs> I feel like I mostly know about because it's in the popular zeitgeist. Like, I don't sure. know if I ever really watched an episode of it. To me, Angela Lansbury was Mrs. Potts. Like, that's how I most remember her. As a I think kid. that's fair. I think a lot of people do. Yeah. I mean, like, that's such a big role for people in our age group. Beauty and the Beast was an absolutely massive smash success for kids of our age. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like a lot of us were going to be watching other shows that she was guest starring in, like Magnum P.I. or New Heart. (laughs) No. New Heart. Yeah. Well, in the same way that I knew um, Gene Wilder from Willy Wonka for the longest time, it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, he's that guy from like Young Frankenstein and blah, 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 because I didn't see those movies when I was eight years old. Well, I probably shouldn't have. Oh, Angela Lansbury was Mommy Fortuna in The Last Unicorn, a totally different Uh, movie, but seminal part of my childhood. (laughs) I do know that she plays a little cameo-ish part in Mary Poppins Returns. Huh. Julie Andrews declined to do it. Julie Andrews also declined this movie. 
I think that they were like kind of in talks with her, but then there was the thing with Mary Poppins and she was filming some other things at the time. Ben yeah. and Broomsticks got shelved a few times and brought back. Ah, that explains it. That explains why she wasn't in it. Yeah, but um, we'll do Mary Poppins Returns in the future, but I think it's kind of um, kind of sweet where she was like, no, I don't want to come in and do the cameo thing. Because, you know, they often bring back actors to do things. Angela Lansbury plays like a balloon saleswoman at the oh. very, very end of the film. But uh, Julie Andrews was saying, like, this is Emily's movie. Like, this is her chance to be Mary Poppins. Well, that's sweet. That's a good, it is. That's a good way to, to put it. Um, but yeah, so my, my relationship with Bedknobs and Broomsticks as a kid, absolutely remember watching it. And I remember watching it a couple of times, mm-hmm. um, especially getting to the part where the animated, uh, clothing and the, apparently the very end I remember the best, but I can't recall having much of a relationship with it aside from really, really, really wanting to find a bed Mm. with a bed knob on it that looks like the bed in the movie and see if that could take me to magical places i really wish that it could i mean that's the thing these movies just make you want magic they always make me want magic i know oh you're saying i could be transported places without having to use cars that's the dream (laughs) excuse me um two things here about this before we get started mm-hmm. um the movie was shelved repeatedly due to the similars with mary poppins uh which kind of does make sense and also this original movie was almost three hours and 20 minutes long so i'm gonna say right now that upon watching it as an adult this movie felt extraordinarily long to me i did not feel that way but i feel like if it had gone on longer it absolutely would yeah, I don't know if I could have sat through three hours of this. No, I couldn't sit through. I was just having a discussion with Cliff about how there's no way I can watch the movie Killers of the Flower Moon in theaters because that's like three and a half hours long. And I legitimately cannot sit in a theater seat for that long without fidgeting about because my shoulder starts to hurt like crazy. So I'm trying to think of like sitting through a movie like this at any length. Three and a half hours is too long for a fucking film. Yeah, I mean... At least when Titanic first came out, there was the intermission because it was such a long movie. Why did we stop having intermissions? I don't know. And actually, speaking of Killers of the Flower Moon, I think mm-hmm. that um, uh, there was a request to not have an intermission in there. And some movie theaters are actually violating it by having the intermission, which is like, I, that's just kind of a human. Like, I know. I, I don't. I will say I didn't quite Google it. But I know that I would think it was some members of the of the tribe who were saying that it's like disrespectful to have an intermission when there's so many other movies that don't have an intermission. And I see both sides of that where it's kind of like, of course, you put an intermission in the long movie about, you know, indigenous people. And it's sort of like they really should be putting intermissions in those Marvel movies. Like, I, I think everyone else is wrong. I think that yeah. intermission should be in there. And that's I'm not being silly. It's just three hours is now basically the standard length for a movie. That's ridiculous to have the expectation that every human being, even able bodied people can just sit there and not have to pee or stand <laughs> up for a sec that no one's foot's asleep, you know, 
that that's just so long. I think intermissions are healthy and you need to remind yourself that every once in a while, it is good for your body to stand the fuck up. I think that's partially why I haven't really wanted to go back to theater since COVID because I just really enjoy being able to watch my movies at home and get mm-hmm. up and do whatever I want when I want it have five intermissions if I need to like there's right I'll still get the story (laughs) I totally agree it's and the other thing is you know we keep reading about how unhealthy it is to be looking at screens for extended periods of time once again three hours to to have your eyes focus solely on a screen right that Mm -hmm. is not good for you I think intermissions should be mandatory in any movie over two and a half hours well you heard it here first folks intermissions we are for them we are for them we are for pockets in uh women's women's clothing and for afab clothing we are also for intermissions in movies and that again not a joke i genuinely think that there should be intermissions in movies over two and a half hours because you just you you should not be sitting and staring at a screen for that long it's not good for you and speaking of an intermission let's take a quick ad right now we don't Oh my god, wouldn't it be awesome if now was the time we were like, by the way, we suddenly have ads. That would have been amazing. uh, We don't. If you want to, if you know of a company that's like, hey, we would really like to throw some money away, um, you should have them sponsor our show. (laughs) Throw your money at us. It's great. We need it. We we do have things that we want to do in the future. Um, Just to give people a little hint, we want to start showing up at a couple live events. We don't have any live shows yet, but we do want to start showing up in person you can see us hang out meet us um we do want to look into the possibility of doing some like not in person but some live virtual events and in the future future we would love to look into some in person live events and all those things require you know funds so if you know anybody that does want to sponsor a show or anything get in touch we would love to have some help in making some cool things happen Yeah, funds and friendships. So also share, like, subscribe. How else can you interact with us? I don't know. Leave us a review. Leave us a review. Everything that you can. Promote your favorite damsels who discuss with everyone else. Speaking of discussions. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say discussing, discussing things. Yes. We should discuss this movie. We should. We should get into the Bardcore opening. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not usually a fan of the Canterbury Tales kind of art, but um, this, this intro is kind of fun. I, yeah, I liked the art. I liked the intro. Um, I I enjoyed the illustrated manuscript, I think, mm-hmm. the style illustrations that they had. I also liked um, that reading the, uh, oh, what's the word? Oh, the credits, the credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, they listed technical consultants, Sponge Buggy Works unclear what they were technically consulting do they still exist i just tried googling them and i got nothing (laughs) right um i got buggy works florida that's not that it's not that no i'm guessing they uh do not exist anymore but disappointing if i google it i get spongebob (laughs) It's like, did you mean Spongebob movies? No, No, I did not. But thank you for the absolutely inappropriate suggestion. 
I also I also really love this opening because we get Nazis in our uh, medieval illustrated manuscripts, which is not not the crossover that I would expect in a Disney movie. Gally, Gally, would you <laughs> would you say that you did not see that coming? Oh my god! I think we need to take an intermission from this pun. <laughs> It's not even that good. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. It's good enough to kill you. Uh, <laughs> this is like that video I sent you the other day where I was literally crying laughing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. But, um, oh, I can bring the tone down for a sec. Okay. I... Well, I wanted to look up basically what was going on. So the first live action sort of stuff that we see in the movie is a man painting out um, the signpost at a four point crossing mm-hmm. and um, a man in a car leans out and is like, hey, how do I get to Pepperidge Eye? And I kind of like this tiny bit of filmmaking where we as the audience can see that the thing he's about to paint out says Pepperidge Eye. Mm-hmm. So we know where he needs to go. But he says he can't say in case the Nazis come in. And I looked this up. This is taking place. It doesn't say specifically when, either early 1941 or late 1940 during the Blitz. And the Blitz is a period during World War II. Oh. Um, so I actually wrote the text that appears on the screen. Okay, cool. Because it says, England, 1st August in the year 1940. Again, a time for valor. A time of whispered events now faded with the passing years. Then we get to the guy painting the sign out. Okay, so it is August of 1940. So we're about, uh, mm. so we're about <laughs> a month away from the start of the actual Blitz. Yeah. But, well, that's kind of weird because it's implied very much that this takes place during the actual, it says here, during the Blitz. However, the Blitz started September 7th, 1940. I just, sorry, I don't mean to derail us immediately, no, but like no. that's so easy. You're fact checking the literal movie, which is really funny to me because, like I said, I wrote because I looked it up because I didn't know. And the, you know what's funny? I missed that screen you're talking about because I was writing down the dates in my notebook of the actual blitz. Um, so I missed the fake ones. And again, they, it would have been easy if they just said September 1940 because that would have been actually correct. It would have been the very beginning of the Blitz. And for anyone who's like, you keep saying this thing. It was a bombing campaign against the United Kingdom. Specifically, it took place over the course of eight months and five days, September 7th, 40 to May 11th, 41. And uh, Nazi forces dropped bombs all over the United Kingdom. It killed. Oh, my gosh. I just had the. Oh, man. Between 40 and 43,000 civilians it injured between 46 and 139,000 people 2 million homes were damaged or destroyed which was 60% of houses in london yeah it was it was <clears throat> quite the devastation <clears throat> it was quite the devastation and um this is this is the wartime event that is taking place during the course of this movie so I actually think that the like pointing out the um actual inconsistency with this movie and what actually happened in real life 
I think this just kind of reinforces the Disney trend to want to make movies about things happening in Britain or or British movies, but refusing to make them British, like refusing to actually like care enough to go beyond the fact that we want this to take place in England and we want an accent. We don't want to look up the rest of the facts to make sure that it's correct but it's annoying because they kind of did they looked up enough to be like oh yeah this bombing thing is the, and they're talking about bombs specifically we see this later when they're in london like oh, lake wasoda everybody i'm sorry oh, for it's... anyone that's gonna get mad about lake wasoda all over again in titanic uh jack dawson references lake wasoda which was not actually built in 1912 yeah i like there's a million other like Michigan, but just the same case here where it was one month late. You were in the right time frame, like so yeah. close, so close. I'm sorry, I got totally derailed by this trying to just explain things. No, but, I'm just I'm I don't know. I'm trying to play devil's advocate and wonder. No, like, I, and, and in my you. head, yeah, like the only thing that I can think of is. Um, it wouldn't have been Walt at the time, and I don't know no. who the CEO was, but whoever the CEO was was like, uh, oh, okay, it's happening during the Blitz. Good, good enough. I don't care. You know, internet doesn't exist. We, we're not going to fact check the actual date that the Blitz happened. We all lived through it at this point, the guys who are working on this film. That was sometime <laughs> between August and September. It's just so <laughs> weird to me that it's like, guys. Yeah, and that was such an easy thing to change because they could have literally just changed the screen text and nothing would yeah, that's would matter. <laughs> exactly, because they don't say the date or anything again throughout no. the movie. It's not like they open it. They don't introduce us to, uh, to Angela Lansbury by walking in going, good morning on the 1st of August. <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah. Yeah, and unless what they're implying... Uh, well, okay, the pacing of this movie does not make it seem like there's any time for rest. Like, we're just with everyone kind of in real time. Yeah, immediately. these events are happening. Yeah, so it. So my only other thought would be maybe they were trying to imply that there was a time skip between August 1st and when the events of the movie really take place. But I don't think, I don't think that would be possible. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're just at a loss for words. <laughs> I'm making goldfish faces right now. I'm sorry, you but are. it's just kind of like again, this is such an easy. And this it look, there's some things where as you said, there's not the internet. There, there was there were some things that were going to be nearly impossible to fact check back then. But yeah. I believe that the beginning of the Blitzkrieg um more of an easy one. I would think so too, but, but you know, I mean, I will also say this was also only 30 years after the end. Yeah, so... I'm, I'm making a lot of stupid excuses at this point. I, what can you do but make stupid excuses? <laughs> stupid excuses? Nothing. Make stupid excuses. But we do, like you said, we get to see... We get to see... Um, this old man paint out the signs and essentially tell a Nazi to go fuck off. A potential a Nazi. Nazi. Yeah. We don't know. Yes, he's just a uh, well, we find out later that he's a normal person. Uh, not a normal person. He's a British officer. He And he means it. <laughs> not a normal person. <laughs> he's 
an actual British officer. I'm Brits. <laughs> he is, but I do love the uh, super sassy <laughs> signpost guy because he says uh, they told us to paint out the signpost in case the Nazis drop in and he looks offended and goes, I'm not a Nazi, I'm a British officer. And this guy laughs in his face and goes, that's what you'd say if you was a Nazi. <laughs> true and I that love sounds this like a, man. yeah that's what a nazi would say He's every D D player <laughs> roll deception yeah <laughs> roll insight nazi <laughs> uh yes but then uh, we then see we go to it turns out it's a museum which i have so many questions about this museum in this tiny town that's just full of armor. Yeah. Oh no. This, this I know it kept <laughs> This seems to be a weird like. Okay, so it's it's for people who haven't seen the movie, it seems to be a very old seaside town. Um, mm-hmm. so pretty remote. And I'm wondering if you know we also see the old guard soldiers marching in, and it's a bunch of old men soldiers. So I'm wondering if back in the day, during like literally the First World War, or so this was probably sort of like a navy town that has since become a little not uh, developed necessarily about a navy town but i think um is that dad's army i think that there is like yeah the okay so this is this is me pulling on some British knowledge that isn't my personal British knowledge, but there there was a an old old sitcom called Dad's Army that was about <laughs> the British Home Guard um, during the Second World War, and I think that the Home Guard was made up of old men. Okay, so this was like a thing in Britain at the time to essentially have like <laughs> we're going to send the young men off to war, but the men who fought in World War One they have such a duty that they're going to stay behind and just kind of like defend the home turf. So that's hmm. what I thought that this was that we okay. were, we were, we were watching just a bunch of old men um, continue to fight. Yeah. That's kind of what I just kind of figured it was a bunch of people that were like, we were the home guard at the time. And uh, we don't have a lot of young folks in this town. I mean, that's also like they, they have no young folks in this town. I, I have, I have another thought around how old every single person in this movie is, except for the children. Okay, <laughs> everyone is forty plus in this town. Yes, it's <laughs> except for, as you said, all the new. <laughs> Um, the orphans the orphans that have all just arrived in town yeah <laughs> is this a children of men situation i don't know this i think that in my opinion this further goes to show me that um i think that my theory is correct and that it's just a town that was remote no young people were born everyone's aging up because you don't yeah. see, because you don't see even any, as you pointed out, there's nobody in their twenties, there's nobody in their thirties, there's no teenagers, there's 
like Miss Price is the youngest person here, and Angela Lansbury has got to be. I was going to check this actually. So this came out in seventy. I calculated it. How old was she? She was forty-five. Yeah, which I mean, <laughs> David Tomlinson was probably about the same age too. So yeah, everyone yeah. was. This was, a, and I think that was something that stood out to me too, even when I was younger. Is that like this was a film kind of of older people and ch- and these children, which I kind of liked. Oh, David Tomlinson was even older. Yeah, he was. I'm not doing the math very well in my head right now, but he was born in 1917. Yeah. He was about 54. Okay. I'll yeah. be honest. Um, oh, something that really gets me about uh, not, not, not fashion uh, for, gosh, words are totally escaping me today. Same. Um, Something that really gets me about uh, watching older films like this and seeing the way that they styled their actors Mm -hmm. um, and then knowing the age of those actors when they're portraying these roles is always so super fascinating to me because they're styling these people as though they're in their 50s and 60s. Yes, it's quite she she especially is quite matronly. Yeah, like Angela Lansbury to me looks even older than a mid 40 year old woman in the yes. movie she absolutely does kind of bizarre to me <laughs> it's a little weird um and you know david tomlinson i will say he looks about the same in uh this role as he did in mary poppins but i think that's mostly due to again how we just sort of tr- style men yeah but yeah we see miss price for the first time coming in and she's wearing like a very matronly blouse a wool skirt this these big goggles these big every everything is very like old Old. yeah (laughs) yeah and she again as you as you did the math she's only 45 she looks younger on the poster for this movie than she does in the film itself like she's not that what dress is she wearing on the poster she is wearing a cute little pink sundress with no sleeves that's cut at the knees she well, never, she wore never wears that, that. no, no. <laughs> her hair is so perfectly quaffed as well it looks it looks i drew i drew her um later on but i had to get the fashion because she looks like a member of the golden girls who were also yeah. aged up in their fashion it's Hollywood just... is wild <laughs> It is. It's just like it's kind of. It gets a, it's a disappointing because again, she's not. She's only forty five. I keep I keep emphasizing this, but like, she's not even um, Molly Shannon's famous character's age. I'm sixty. Yep. Yeah. No, we we meet the orphans, and this is when we find out. Um, we get a little bit of exposition where the museum curator is telling another woman who's taking like six or seven children. She's, you know, she says, I'm sorry to give you so many, but you do have a ton of bedrooms. And the woman says something. It's no problem at all. Anything to get them away from those terrible bombings in London. They're talking about the blitz. Yeah. The thing that's already happening that hasn't actually happened yet. <sighs> you're, you're spot on. The, right off the bat. Do not watch this movie for any factual. Um, but it's a bit, if they, Everything else is pretty okay, except for that one weird, dumb thing. Um, so strange. <laughs> it is strange. This is where we meet um, Carrie, Charles, and Paul, the three sort of main character kids. 
and they are immediately left alone in a museum full of stuff with the instructions don't touch anything because that works on children touch it all touch everything oh my gosh because the museum curator who i have has a name that i can't remember um whatever she she comes out to meet miss price because miss price has a parcel that couldn't look any more like a broomstick if it had been wrapped like harry potter's nimbus 2000 i this is this is such a strange comment to make it's a foley comment i love the sound of paper or packing material in old movies there is something so tactile and crisp about it and i just it's like this yeah that's that's not being picked up by the mic but yeah it is like i know exactly what you're saying it is just like that nice now now it is a crunching of a um fresh plastic wrap (laughs) that gets us but oh (laughs) i have paper (laughs) but it's do a little foley work no um yeah it it's a paper wrapped broomstick as we find out but again you don't need to know it's a broomstick to you don't need to wait till it's open to know it's a broomstick you can tell it's a broomstick by looking at it i actually yeah i remember this too as a kid watching this movie and going that's obviously that's a broom yeah it's not a bike there's no nothing mysterious about this Oh, speaking of bikes, she comes in on a motorcycle with a sidecar, and the sidecar is spewing, like, yellow smoke. It looks like she's expelling turmeric from her co- from her engine. Yeah, was that supposed to indicate that it was, like, magically powered or something? I, I don't know why it was yellow smoke. I have no idea. No one seems <laughs> to quite understand her, but I do like that the village just likes her. Ooh, or is it mustard gas? No. Wait, they'd all be dead. They'd all be dead. It could just be mustard. Mustard seed. It could just be mustard seed. They'd all be crying. Yeah, everyone's watching her go by, she's so nice. (laughs) They all do like her, though, even though she's weird. Um, The the new officer in town is like, who the fuck is that? And one of the old men is like, that's Miss Price, splendid woman. Yeah. And the um, curator likes her. Everyone seems to respect her, even though she is like, Bruce keeps to herself, whatever. It's like, dude, she's fine, but um she's about to go home but the i okay i'm just gonna look up this woman's name because it's driving me nuts um uh, mrs hobday mm-hmm. uh mrs hobday is she's about to go home mrs hobday's like no i have something else for you <laughs> i have something else for you <laughs> yeah she doesn't tell her what but she leads them to the area that she just left behind in silence which is now very loud with commotion children children Ooh. Ooh, children because they're not only children in which is you know just touching things and looking at stuff that you absolutely shouldn't but like i one of them charles has fully climbed on top of a suit of horses armor and they and they're all holding swords and just swinging at each other i mean they're just being british they're just invading what isn't theirs and taking what isn't theirs. Very true. <laughs> Very true. But. <laughs> so are you saying that if you were like led to a room with those little hobgoblins and then told, hey, so their parents are probably dead. So now you get to take care of all these kids. You wouldn't be like. Wonderful. 
No, I'd say exactly what she said, which is no children. And I don't get on. I would have loved if this movie just ended there. <laughs> like she just, <laughs> she goes, okay, farewell. And then goes off and like lives a wonderful witchy life on her own. And the children run away back to London. Yes. But no, <laughs> they just, they convince her. Yeah. Well, she, they don't really convince her so much as show her the government ordinance that says you have to do this thing. Convince. Yeah. <laughs> You've convinced me it's either this or jail. Basically. And yeah, yeah she, uh, she, with one eye roll of irritation, is like, all right, fine. But neither of you get to unwrap my broom. <laughs> no. And then they run into the town vicar. Yeah, I was expecting him to have more of a role. I was as well, but all he is is just this, like, oily, grease, not oily literally, but, like, this slick, smooth, very... He's Roddy McDowell. Yeah, I wrote down this vicar is, like, salad dressing, and that I meant he was just, like, oily and slick. He looked like he was covered in a, in a thin sheen of not vinaigrette. Quite, but... For some reason, I think I thought I wouldn't get that because my other note says, don't elaborate for future Alexia. I'm like, no, I got it. (laughs) I'm glad that you told yourself this. (laughs) I think I wanted to see if I could stump myself. It's like, no. Um, And he's basically trying to say like, oh, I should come by and discuss everything with you. And she's basically like, no, because I'm getting rid of these kids as soon as I can. That sounded worse than I meant it to. She talked to the to Mrs. Hobday and was like, okay, I'll take them for now, but find them like a better long-term place. Yeah, which is fair. And then, yeah. spoiler alert, they don't find a better long-term place. They do. It's just her house. Spoiler alert. That's not, that's not better. <laughs> it's not. Um, but she takes them to her house, which I wrote down that I want. Oh, okay. So apparently, sorry, to close the loop on Mr. <clears throat> Jelk, the assistant vicar, <laughs> the assistant uh, salad dressing vicar, um, <laughs> there is a comment on his Disney fandom article that says, oh, no. unfortunately, these scenes have been predominantly cut from the newer released versions after 2009 of the film on DVD. Most upsetting most upsetting yeah there so are. He, did, he did have a larger role that's why i was like i thought like roddy mcdowell is a pretty big name as mm-hmm. far as actors go mm-hmm. there are quite a few little scenes even small ones that i remember um that didn't take place things that like i'm jumping ahead a little bit but when they're trying out the bed for the first time in the version on disney plus it works but I remember distinctly it doesn't work the first time because they do something and the bed jiggles around, then it doesn't go anywhere. And Charlie laughs like a maniac and goes, I told you it wouldn't work. Yes, I remember this too. And that didn't happen. And there's a number of things that I think really that were missed in this weird cut down. And I, I don't quite understand why it was cut down like this. Aside from time, I don't know either because when we get to the Portobello road part, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say right now, if they had to cut, cut the movie for time, 
they could have cut so much more out of the Portobello Road mm-hmm. piece if they needed to, if that's the reason that they did these cuts. Right. Otherwise, it makes no sense to me because, like, they seem kind of arbitrary what they're cutting out. Yeah. And, and some of the things that they cut out were kind of establishing, like, that Miss Price's magic doesn't work all the time, guaranteed, that there's specific rules to magic that, like, they find out that the whole reason it didn't work is because they forgot to tell the bed where they wanted to go. It's little things like that where, you know, oh, yeah. duh. But, that's, that's actually quite important. <laughs> yeah. But no, they cut this out. I don't know why, but for now, we're we're back at this house and we get introduced to Cosmic Creepers, the cat. I'm so glad that they didn't cut out Cosmic Creepers or the name Cosmic Creepers because that is such a name. <laughs> it is such a cat name. And this cat doesn't really do anything. No. Like, he just kind of exists, which is cool. That's what cats do. But you're not integral to the plot at all. (laughs) No. And also, Disney needs to get better captioning because um, there's a lot of mistakes in the closed captioning over the course of this movie. But one of the first ones I noticed was that they, um, instead of Cosmic Creepers, they call the cat Cosmic Creepus. Cosmic Creepus? Yeah. (laughs) What? What even does that mean? I don't know. And later on, um, there's a part where you can hear Charlie say, sorry to hear that. That's what he says out loud. Sorry to hear that. And the subtitle is sorry to hat. (laughs) I do like sorry to hat. Yeah, I am. But this happens with the entire movie. And it's just sort of like, this is extremely unfriendly to people who are hard of hearing y'all. Like, this is not even close. That's terrible. That's oof. I've heard of some bad, like, post captioning before but that's there's no excuse for a movie this old and from this size of the studio <laughs> yeah exactly Ugh. but um we get into another point where disney has an obsession with washing up yep because uh miss price says that she wants them to wash up before supper and charlie is offended by that concept okay as a child did you or did you, well okay, not you i don't believe that you were ever a kid that would be told hey you need to wash up and you said no i don't want to do that correct did you know any kids who would actually refuse to wash their hands because no. i didn't no everyone that i knew would be like fine with going to wash their hands like disney loves to have this as a theme in their movies and and media in general loves to have this theme of gross children being gross and refusing to wash up which which they are children are gross yeah i still yeah to understand kids saying no i refuse to wash up it's i think that they were trying to tell us an um uh stereotype that isn't true (laughs) i agree because yeah this is a thing and between that and the fact that they don't want to eat the healthy food that she serves, the kids decide that they're going to run away back to London. It was quick. It was so quick. This Ooh, was less than 24 woman, hours. This woman politely asked us to do something and made us food and gave us a roof over our head. And at least two of us are old enough to understand the gravity of the situation of war. But yeah, fuck her. Let's we <laughs> We find out that Charlie is 11 and Paul is six. Carrie's somewhere in between them. I'm just going to go ahead and guess that she's 10. So, yeah. These are not, as you said, 10 and 11 is old enough to know better. But um, 
Miss Price is unwrapping her very obvious broomstick and learning how to fly it by moonlight, which is when the kids see her. And I have to say that the kids, as they're escaping, seeing a witch, accept it very, very well. Oh, let's run away. Oh, hey, the woman who adopted us is a witch. No, but she's still old. (laughs) Yeah. And um, we see Miss Price crashes because she decides to try to fly without her hands. And um, Carrie is concerned for a sec. She's like, she's crashed. We should check on her if she's hurt. And Charlie goes, you can't hurt a witch. Charlie, you're British. You know. (laughs) You know that's completely untrue. I... So I made a couple of notes on this scene. Firstly, I love that um, Eglantine, I really want to call her Eggie. Eglantine. Eglantine. I really just want to call her Eggies. Um, But she she apparently is doing Hogwarts online schooling. (laughs) Yeah, correspondence school. Correspondence school. And I also just really appreciated the excellent broom acting that from Angela Lansbury. Like she was flip-flopping all over the place on that broom. Yes, she was very um committed to showing I am not an experienced broom writer. Yes. Also, okay, maybe maybe this explains Charlie's thought. Witches are nothing compared to Nazis. So maybe he's like, oh, she's a witch. All right, whatever. At least she's not a Nazi. (laughs) It's a really interesting uh, barrier there. But I mean, I guess I'm kind of with him, though. It's like, if you're not a Nazi, that's pretty good first step. That's good enough. (laughs) And um, the next day is when he... Uh, reveals that they know that she's a witch and that if they want, if she wants them to keep quiet, they've got to do some stuff. And I will say that the first couple of things he asks for are reasonable, which are just to have some sausage and some jam for like from breakfast foods, a little, a little bit of an unhealthy treat. Yeah. But like how big are Charlie's um, bed knobs? Because he's going up against a witch and making good demands right and from the disney plus version of this movie assumedly we think that she actually has some of her shit together so um but but charlie's just he's such a little grifter he is his first thought is always how can i profit from this yeah how can i devalue this witch But she recognizes that pretty immediately, though. She really does. Uh, You know, when you're child-free, by choice, presumably, Mm -hmm. um, you know when to look out for children's bullshit and not give in. Mm -hmm. And she has kind of figured that out. Kind of, yeah. At what point does Paul say that he has a lovely bit of string Ah, so she says, Charlie proposes that she give them something to um, keep their silence. And if they break the pack, they have to give it back. And she says, I'd like to give you one of my spells, a traveling spell, and asks if any of them have something that they can twist. And Paul starts digging through his pockets. And one of the things he finds in them is a lovely bit of string. 
and a gigantic heavy bed knob. Yeah, which how, uh, and it how okay? Why are, I know that children are strange, but carrying around as you pointed out an extremely heavy like brass, I presume bed knob in your pocket, that's gotta be annoying. I just love the dichotomy of this like tiny flimsy piece of string, and then this heavy ass like round object the size of your fist that you're just casually keeping in your child size pockets yeah you can just beat someone to death with because it's that heavy nazis yes this, this actually is very useful in the war <laughs> and she makes it even more useful because she enchants it with the famous traveling spell yes she ponders the knob yes and then uh, she sends the kids upstairs to, like, get ready to go on a trip because, of course, she gave them a magic thing. I just don't understand why she gave it back to them. Like, I know that she was like, yes, Paul's the only one that can operate it, but I would personally still hold on to it because I would not give three children I don't know all that well access to a traveling spell that can take you, I don't know, anywhere. Well, she also didn't, did she tell them how to actually do the spell at that point or did she just kind of enchant it and give it back? That's fair. She only enchanted it and gave it back. She didn't tell them how to do the thing yet. Yeah, so maybe she was like, you guys aren't going to get far with it. And if you try to run, you're idiots. <laughs> That's fair. Um, she runs because she has to ex- accept a telegram. Yes, it's a very important telegram. It is. It's a telegram from Professor Amelius Brown, Correspondence College of Witchcraft London, informing her that sadly, due to the war, the college is forced to close down and she will not be receiving the final lesson that she had shown so much interest in. I'm sure it was because of the war and not because this was a scam all along. Oh, yeah, I know. Totally legit reasons. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure many a business put out notices similar to that of due to the war. Mm. Just as so many businesses nowadays like to put out uh, due to um, nobody wanting to work anymore. Yep. Yeah, raising. I just got an email today from Netflix saying they're raising their prices. Like, how many yeah. times in the past four years has Netflix raised their prices? It's more than what, like two t- times a year. And Netflix is doing the whole, oh, if you live and if you try to access it anywhere outside of your familial household, you're going to have to pay extra for it. It's it's silly. It's like fuck you if you travel. I guess. Yeah. Yeah weirdly it seems like disney plus may be one of the last bastions that's still allowing Mm -hmm. that extra family share but because i was able to watch um the aristocats when i was in dc yeah just nice um but anyway capitalism sucks and she's losing her college as as a result so we think (laughs) So she wants to go to London to find him and Paul is like, no, because I want to go to the jungle. And I love that before she explains things to him, she basically prefaces it by saying like, ridiculous as this is to have to explain to a six-year-old. Yes. What I love is this line that Paul says, what's that got to do with my knob? (laughs) While staring at her with dead eyes. Yes. I also very quickly wrote a note after that says Charles is a shit kid. He is so annoying because, yeah, they're all getting ready to go to London. And Miss Price is like, you should get another coat because it's going to be cold. And he's just like, I'm not going. 
you know, I think the um, all of the actors realized how shit of kids they all were because none of them acted again after this movie. <laughs> like the the kid uh, who played Charlie, uh, now an adult, Ian Wayhill, um, currently works in London as a cab driver. Uh, Cindy O'Callaghan, who played Carrie, primarily did some stage work after the film, but is now a child psychologist. And Roy Snart, uh, who played Paul, did do a few more films, but also went back to school and now is a successful entrepreneur. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) This is like a a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory thing where, um... oh God, I don't remember his name. I don't either, but yeah. (laughs) He, uh, Peter Ostrom was like, yeah, I'm not acting again. Yeah. Um, she finally gets him to agree and like they're getting ready to go and this is where she sings the song the age of not believing the um the uh musical motif of which shows up a few times over the course of the movie yeah is this the song that sounds a little bit like a spoonful of sugar when you rush around in hopeless circles Searching everywhere for something true. You're at the age of not believing when all they make believe is through. Yeah, so it's not this one, but way to sing this one. Um, (laughs) just like off the top of your head, that was perfect. I do. No, I made a, I made a note. There is some song that occurs throughout the course of this movie. That slightly sounds like a spoonful of sugar, but a slightly off version. Is it? And I'm not his... going to be very helpful at all. <laughs> Is it the song that Mr. Brown sings? It may be. It may be that. As the shine needs the boot and the blossoms the fruit, all you need to succeed in your plan is a champion rare with the flourish and a flare. I'm your man. That's that one. That does have a little bit of it. Huh. Well. I don't don't know. The problem is I won't be able to like. 100% figure it out. 100% figure it out. But there was. I I just remember watching the movie and hearing this throughout being like, aha. I hear the hints of Mary Poppins just floating around in the sky somewhere. (laughs) So beautiful Briny C was originally going to be in Mary Poppins ah okay so there's so many relationships then with this mm-hmm. this movie and mary poppins so they mm-hmm. just kind of go hand is, in hand music is by the sherman brothers for this one too um and you'll definitely hear it as you go along but uh this is the first time where i remember something distinctly being cut out because after she sings this song um they try to get the bed to work in this cutout scene and it doesn't work and charlie laughs at them and that's when uh, miss price looks at her spell book and goes we have to tell the bed where to go so they do that and then they're off cosmic creepa scares charlie um and he runs onto the bed and joins them at the last second yeah cosmic creeper is a very rough looking cat yes he is oh i forgot to mention that he scares charlie because the first night at dinner miss price turns charlie into a rabbit for about a minute and cosmic creepers chases him up the stairs yeah she gets to show that little power of hers yes um but now there's she sees the power they see the power again because they go on yet another uh, they go on another disney acid trip 
Yeah, the uh, Willy Wonka flight. <laughs> uh-huh. To London. Yes. What what a wonderful way to travel to London in the early 70s. Just an acid trip on a bed. I do kind of love that. Um Yeah, Miss Price goes off to find Professor Brown and the kids stay behind, but then as they're standing there, uh Professor Brown walks by. And they also, oh, uh, worth pointing out, they fly this bed into an alley mm-hmm. in London. No one notices. It's not that well hidden in an alley either. It's just no, and no of, one's yeah. in the alley either. Yeah. It's pretty empty when they arrive. Um, I I wrote that, uh, that, oh, I'm forgetting his character from Mary Poppins, but um, Professor Banks. Amelius. Yeah, Mr. Banks had fallen on hard times and is now yep. a street magician. He is a street magician. And they cut out um, another song that we hear the motif throughout this musical for, which is With a Flair. Where he, right, they really do. Yeah, they he, where David Tomlinson sings about his character where he's like, yeah, I'm a massive fake, but because I'm, you know, charismatic and stuff, people let me get away with it. See my D&D characters. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, they cut that out, which was disappointing because that's that. Um, it comes up later on too. It's a fun song. It is a really fun song, and it looks like they cut out about thirty minutes of material between the original release, which is the version I guess we watched, and the re-release, which came out in '96. That is a lot of material to. It's a lot like, of material from this. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't just thirty minutes of Portobello Road. No, weirdly enough, I think they kept most of the actual full Portobello Road secret I, sequence. I don't recall anything being cut from that sequence. Like the version I saw in this movie, it looked like the whole thing. Well, before we get to that, I guess we do actually have to have um, Eggy and her and Mr. Brown meet each other. Yes, the kids basically tackle him to keep him in place. Um, and Miss Price comes rushing in and turns him into a rabbit because she's very upset with him. I mean, I get it. She demands satisfaction or she's going to sick her child army on him. That makes sense. It does. And it's definitely enough to convince uh, Mr. Brown. And he takes them to see where he currently lives, which is an abandoned mansion that has an unexploded bomb right outside of it. He also tries to tell her like, oh, this is all bullshit, too. Does he does he admit to that here or does he not? No, no. This is the part where he thinks that he found his chosen middle-aged like Neo. Yeah, because he's surprised that the magic actually worked for her. Yeah. <laughs> it's just you are the one. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I'll show you the book that you're looking for, but you have to come back to the house first. And he gets rid of the kids by telling them to go explore and they find a room full of toys. And I love this because Paul goes, what is this? And Carrie goes, it's a nursery. Ain't you ever seen a nursery? And before anyone could say anything, Charlie goes, no, and neither have you. Yeah, <laughs> I do love that. <laughs> Same. I, I kind of love that put in it. Like, he's like, he's like, this, my sister's about to be such a bitch. Get No, no. <laughs> we spend 24 seven together. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know where you've been. Zip it yeah (laughs) and then we go back down where he's taken her to the library and he unveils a poster of himself in his finer days back when his suit didn't have holes in it (laughs) yes i um 
I realized before they went there, didn't they take the bed to his hideaway house? Because yes, yeah, because he says, "Is this vehicle safe?" To the bed. Oh yeah, that's right. They like Professor Brown says that. Yeah, which again, super casual. Oh, I see your bed is parked in the middle of London. Let's board it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, everything's good. We're fine. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I I really love the fact that there's an unexploded bomb in this place. Like just chilling. Just chilling. <laughs> but he in this very grand library tells the story of basically admitting to stealing the spell book um by paying with a fake coin and ripping it in half and just running off with the half he has. Yeah. So that's why they had to close down the college because he doesn't have the final spell. But he only tells her this after she turns him into a rabbit. And she only turns him into a rabbit again because instead of answering her question about where the book is, he insists on singing her a song. Uh, Yeah, I wrote, Mr. Brown, please stop ignoring me and quit dancing. (laughs) Yes, he sings a song to her about her name, Eglantine. Yeah, which, what a scammer. Such a scammer. And it, the thing about him is that he outright, again, the thing about his character here is that he outrightly admits to it. They cut the song out, but in that big original song, he just publicly is like, yeah, I'm a sham. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to find the actual words to it. Oh, yeah. it's uh, the, the song is still listed on the soundtrack. On the it is. Mm-hmm. Here we go. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke. I mean, this is what he's saying, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. And that's all it is. He's basically just saying, like, here, first I rattle off a ready stock of gibberish and poppycock and fix you with my best hypnotic stare. That's all it is. It's just like, it, and it tells you about his character. It's also the theme song to Las Vegas. <laughs> it absolutely is. And it, and then you, when you hear the second song from him, where he's basically like, dude, we'll be the best act ever. It makes a lot more sense with his character because his character doesn't give a fuck about anything at this point. Yeah. yeah. And that's important to note. Did you... <sighs> This is a bit of an unfair judgment to make on um, David Tomlinson as an actor, but I had a hard time believing that he was uh, such a, a shyster, Emilius Brown. Like he, I couldn't help but continue to think, no, you are an upright citizen of Mr. Banks. Like you look like, you look too clean. Your mustache is too nice you look too portly like (laughs) yeah it's like you know eventually he's gonna come around to being on exactly the right side like you know that even if he's supposed to be morally gray at the beginning there's just not staying that way yeah and also sir you're liking your 50s this is this is the attitude of a man that should be in his mid-20s something like that yeah but um he says that the best place, once he's back to being a human, speaking, we've brought it up a few times. He's like, well, yeah. if you want to find the other half of an old spell book that I stole, the best place to find it is going to be Portobello Road. Uh, the flim flam market. I can't wait. 
I like this dance number. It's ba- it's just a big dance number where they sing about how you can find anything you want in Portobello Road. I enjoyed it. <laughs> However, I would have enjoyed it if the song were three minutes long. It is very long. It felt like 30 minutes with every single uh, person on Portobello Road getting a dance break. <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of um there was an Indian dance section, there was a Scottish dance section. There was Calypso? There was but it was stuff. It, it was ten minutes. It was extremely long. And again, it's fun, but um it goes on and on and on, and the the end result is that they don't find the book, but what they do find is a man, a sketchy man with a knife. So I know I know how much you enjoyed this movie and especially as a kid and how much you like love this movie and I thoroughly like enjoyed it as a, as a kid too. Like I did like this movie. I just am so angry at Portobello Road. <laughs> it had absolutely no purpose. The entire piece had no purpose. Like you said, even at the end of the song, it doesn't forward the plot whatsoever. No, this is filler. <laughs> that they had to keep for some reason in this movie when they cut out what I would argue were better, more plot relevant pieces, like the song um that you were just singing uh about Flair. With a flair. Uh, with a flair. Uh like the fact that sometimes um Eglantine's magic doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> stupid mushroom. The stupid mushroom road <laughs> took up so much space. I'm gonna get you a Portobello Road sign. I I don't know where I'll put it, but I will hang it up, or maybe I'll paint it black so the Nazis can't find me. <laughs> I'm gonna come over. There's just gonna be a really weirdly painted black like plank in your room. Yes, exactly. Yes, Love it. But yes, um, we can move on from this song and find the man with the stabby, stabby instrument. Yes, and he's basically like, you guys need to come with me. And they do. And I would love to start this new welcoming trend of rolling massive beds down strangers' stairs. Because that's basically what happens. This is how we get introduced to the bookman, is because they push a bed, a fully made bed, down the stairs into his room. Casual. Yeah, it's a casual like, everyday thing to do. Yeah, after being threatened with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> Which also, I'm sorry. If you if you're if you're a man with a knife and you come across people who have parked a bed in the middle of London, you really you really think they're going to be threatened by your knife? These people parked a bed in the middle of London. They have right. no fear. They have other stuff going on. Yeah. Well, they have enough fear to follow the man with the knife down there. And this is where they do find the other half of the book. And they, I love this contrived book. I want to know who wrote this book because the, basically what happens is the, the book basically says, so the words of the spell are written on this thing and the, no, the words of the spell will do this awesome thing for you. And these words are Written on an amulet. Oh. Mr. Roth's amulet? 
Yes, the the star of Astaroth. Which... Oh, that was a bit of a dark story. Never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah, they, the, the book is basically just like, who wrote this? This is such lazy writing. Be like, yeah, I heard about a thing, but the thing was written on the wash and care label of a t-shirt I owned when I was nine. So, yeah. So anyway, look for book two where maybe I'll reveal that. That's what it feels like. Yeah, it does. And the bookman is the one who tells us that, you know, Astaroth, towards the end of his life, just went somewhere to try and give animals the ability to speak and to make them more sentient. And they eventually rebelled and killed him. Astaroth was apparently the original Dr. Moreau. Yeah, what an idiot. Uh, yeah, it didn't work out super well for him. I mean, it doesn't I guess seem to work out for anyone. No, it really doesn't. No, and that's when Paul decides to pipe up with his six-year-old wisdom. Because the bookman's like, well, the island of Nabumbu with these magical animals doesn't exist. And Paul's like, oh, it does. I have a book about it. I have a book that's made of fabric. I have a book that's also an illustrated children's guide, which I also do love how everyone treats it as though it is a treasure map yeah. and not a children's book. But I mean, it's also, again, it's a children's book made of, like, fabric. Yeah, it's an old kid's book. Yeah. It's a book that lasts forever. Maybe you should listen to it as definitely full of magic. Right, but nobody does. And so they manage to escape. And end up in Nabumbu Lagoon, the first animated sequence ish. Because they're yes. still live action. They are live action. And they get to somehow breathe underwater. Uh-huh. Which is never fully explained. It's Am animated wrong? water. It is animated water, so I guess that's how that works. That's um, awesome, I guess. And then you run into a proper British catfish. E. <laughs> Sorry, you have such a shit brother. They basically do have that discussion right in front of him. I don't remember why he wrote that. Now I do. Because Charlie's terrible. And he's like, fish don't talk right in front of a talking fish. Yes. A talking fish who is smoking a cigar. That's the other reason that I drew this fish. He is smoking yes. a cigar underwater. I also like that as soon as they land underwater, Mr. Brown goes, beastly climate. I never did care for the sea. And then four seconds later, when Miss Price is like, we should get going, he's like, why? What's the rush? It's really rather splendid down here. And they're... So oh, they're, which is it? it? Right? Like, stop flip-flopping like a flounder. <laughs> and they have a dance. They do. This is beautiful Briny Sea. I think that that's the one that I want I'm, you to sing. I'm wondering if this is also the one that you think might be um, a thingy well, malinga malingy. This definitely, like, once you mentioned this was probably cut from from um, Mary Poppins. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. This feels mm -hmm. like a Mary Poppins song. But this is not what I'm referring to. I am referring to a, mm -hmm. uh, a background song. Like, there's no words to the song. And every now and then it kind of sounded like, Na, 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 na. like that's how it was you know what's really funny is i kind of know what you're talking about but i can't think of what it is now yeah exactly exactly that's 
That's what I'm getting. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. It sounds a little bit like a spoonful of sugar. Yeah. Again, made and, by the, done by the Sherman brothers. So that must be it. But yes, like you said, they, um, a beautiful briny sea. I like the song. I think that's such it's a fun lovely, one. Bobbing along, bobbing along on the bottom of the beautiful briny sea. What a chance to get a better peep. And the plants and creatures of the deep is grand when you're dancing on the sand. Each glance bubbles over with romance. It's lovely bobbing along, bobbing along through the water where we get along swimmingly. Far from the frenzy of the frantic world above, two beneath the blue could even fall in love. Bobbing along, singing a song on the bottom of the beautiful briny sea. It's fun. I can hear it. I can just see the fish dancing. Bobbing right. along and singing a song. It's super fun. It's super cute. It's so fun and cute. I I I really, really like this segment. It does. I mean, you know, being written by the Sherman brothers and now knowing that it was cut from Mary Poppins, I kind of feel it makes a lot of sense why it has that sort of classic Disney fun, magic, whimsy to it. Yeah. And again, we get some wonderful uh, underwater acting uh, from Angela Lansbury and David Tomlinson doing all of their dances, which feel very Poppins. Yeah, and this goes back to my thing. We talked about it in Mary Poppins, where it's very obvious when you get people that have a history in the theater, and both of these two do, David Tomlinson and Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury, even after this, um, is Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd. And David Tomlinson, I believe, made his debut in the theater. So it very much shows in their ability to do this theater acting. And I also think that it helps to, I mean, you can de- you can definitely tell that the animated portions are added in later, but it helps, you can tell that they're acting in such a way that says, I believe that the animated parts are going to be here later and that they're going to make sense. Yeah, they trust the process. Uh, yes, they very much do. Yeah. But they don't get to dance for too long. No, they get interrupted. Because the bed gets hooked and there's no way to get out of bed, I guess. No, you're you're stuck. You just have to stay there and yell, help us, help us. I woke up my dog. Um, <laughs> and we see um, this bear has drawn them up out of the water and... <laughs> Two things about this bear. One of them, he cracks me up. And two, I I looked up the uh, Wikipedia for the actor, and of course I can't find it right now, but this guy, he's not a lot of names uh, that you know, but he's been in a handful of Disney films as a lot of sound effects, like vo- of sound effect actors, if that's what I'm going for. Yeah. He was also the voice of Gumby. Yes. He's a very, very popular, very good voice actor. But um, in this, he's just the bear. And I like how even in this animated bear island, there is like a parlay law. Mm-hmm. 
um, because they get they basically are like, well, we don't want to get thrown back in the ocean. We demand to see the king. Yeah. And I'm glad they get to see the king. Me too, because we get to meet the lion, the king who is a lion, and the his advisor who is a bird, who are both voiced by the same person. Lenny Weinrib. Lenny Weinrib. Thank you, Lenny. Thanks, Lenny. Thank you, Lenny. Uh, and this is, we, okay, they call it soccer. I don't call it soccer. This game that they play, I wrote in my in my notes, I am calling generic sports ball. Because they Re- even admit that the king makes up the rules as they go along. Regardless. Regardless of whatever this game is supposed to be played. British people don't call it soccer. No. And it's really interesting because you would think that either Angela Lansbury or David Tomlinson would have said, hey, we don't call it soccer. We call it football. This this goes back to my theory that the Disney on just on the surface wanted to make this film about Britain and did not feel like doing any level of fact checking. It was just all, hey, what do you remember about the war and when this all was? What do you remember and things. about the war? Yeah. Emma, do you remember the war? I mean, at this point, it would have been, um, hey, uh, boss man, what do you remember about that? I mean, true, but you know, it's, <laughs> but yeah. it's still, I, I think you're right. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that that's why it's just, because I even wrote down, like, I'm into this hybrid game. Because we find out that the whole reason the king's upset is because the match can't take place due to not having a referee. So Mr. Brown says, I'll be your referee. And then we go on to play this ridiculous game. Yeah. Mr. Brown, uh, we get a lovely, lovely view of him walking out um, in his referee outfit, which is him still in a suit, but with like shorts. Yes. (laughs) And his shirt is slightly disheveled. Yeah. And a whistle. Um, And I drew I drew him with the king and the king being so delighted to watch this middle aged man referee soccer in a partial suit. I get beat up as we discover. Yeah. Um, also, <clears throat> the king speaks in, in like a pirate accent. Yes. He he be like Arr. he doesn't laugh. He goes har har har. He was a lion. I guess we should note it, note that he is a lion. King Leonidas takes them to the the uh, soccer field, as they continue to call it, soccer. Mm-hmm. Where we see two teams, the True Blues and the Dirty Yellows. The King is on the Dirty Yellows. Yeah, we we get to watch the Lion King football edition. Yes, uh, EMT'd by two of the vultures from the Jungle Book. Really, I love that we're bringing the whole animal family together. And we haven't even gotten to Robin Hood yet. Not yet. Tune in next week. Um... (laughs) I absolutely love that at one point when Mr. Brown gets run over and doesn't get up, they um in the box we see the kids are like, oh, is he all right? And Miss Price goes, Well, he's moving. <laughs> I wrote down roller derby players when they're hurt. Ah. <laughs> he's still breathing, it's fine. He's fine, he's fine, he's fine. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. You know, patting people on the back. You're okay. Ooh. I think we also need to point out that before this match, the king did show his um, lovely little 
uh, amulet. It looks like a plastic Lone Star. (laughs) Yes, I forgot. He's wearing a plastic Lone Star with, as it turns out, the words for the spell engraved around it. So this is the whole reason they need to be close to the king. They want to try to steal the spell. And so by offering to volunteer and be on on the playing field, Mr. Brown puts himself in a good place for this. Yeah, this is supposedly the ancient star of Azeroth that you can Astaroth. now buy your local Astaroth at that you can buy at your, your local Walmart. Yes, um, but that's the whole reason he's on the on the floor, and he stays on the floor a little bit because every time he stays on the ground, the king comes over and dusts him off with a "You're all right, you're all right, you're good, you're good." Yeah, it's fine, it's fine. You're good, you're fine. Um, the match ends though. Because the two goalies are literally just smacking the ball back and forth, back and forth, like it's a tennis match. So the king yells at them to hit, to head it in. So his team lifts up the rhinoceros onto their shoulders, and the ball lands on his horn and explodes like a balloon with that with that's been released. And my question is, how much air was in this? Football, soccer ball. Yeah, just the. Yeah. The... Yeah. Flying around and around and around, but it flies for like, I don't know, Too a good long. minute. <laughs> Too long. Yep, until it floats back down to earth and the king huff <laughs> blows it into the goal. Hey, look at that. No cheating. None whatsoever. <laughs> and everyone's happy. They're thanking Mr. Brown for coming. Thank you for refereeing. Wasn't this a good time? Um, and then Mr. Brown reveals that behind his back, he's got the Star of Astaroth, and around the king's neck is the referee whistle. Yeah, he pulled the old switcheroo. The switcheroo. Uh, they call it a not very friendly name in the movie. Yeah, they, they call do. it the uh, the gypsy switch, which don't do that. The old gypsy switch. It's nope. It's just a switch trick. It is a switch trick. It is a sleight of hand. A and sleight of hand. Once you get your star, you have to get on your bed and get out of there. It's true. Um, and they run back to the bed and they're making their escape when the king, angry as all hell, comes running down, roaring. So uh, Miss Price turns him into kind of a rabbit. Yeah, and there's also a point when they jump onto the bed um, and Emilius says basically that he'll hang on to it because he says, quote, women always lose things. Yeah, I know. And she says nothing about it. I would have smacked him. There was no. So once again, maybe of things that should have been cut out of that movie, that line, because that line has absolutely no bearing on anything else. It was just an off color comment. (laughs) We have another like women can't line coming up too. But it's just it's, it's just stupid. Off color, it means nothing. Agree. Agree. And um they end up do they do end up getting out of there and Miss Price wants to immediately try out the spell, but when Mr. Brown goes and opens up his handkerchief to show them the star, we find out it is vanished because as Miss Price points out, you should have known better than to try to take something from one world to the other. Yeah, way to lose it, you man. You should go get drunk and ignore this woman. <laughs> what they do instead, though, 
is decide to give her a little bit of space for a second, but it's okay because Paul, um, Paul's been holding out on us. <gasps> Paul's been holding out on us. Paul's been burying the fucking lead because when Miss Price can't remember, Paul is like, why doesn't anyone bother asking me what the words are? I'm, I'm small. I'm smart. Yeah, and that's what they say. They're like, how could you remember the words? It turns out Paul didn't need to remember them because that stupid book he's been carrying around the whole time has a big, giant, literally larger than life-sized copy with words of Astaroth's star. Once again, the entire sequence of them going to this animated land was completely unnecessary because they didn't get anything. No, all they needed was this tiny child's book. They didn't have to go there. No. Oh. So they go to practice it and um, to practice making inanimate objects move, Miss Price asks Mr. Brown for his for his shoes. If you teach the shoes to dance, the man will follow. <laughs> I also I I do like that for this segment. She says the um the spell and it doesn't exactly work. But <laughs> th- this goes back to my whole why did they cut out this uh number because she asks him, you know, the instructor, what's happening here? Why is it why why isn't the spell working? And he goes, "Well, it's because you don't have the rhythm right." As I say, do it with a flair. Yeah, that callback makes no sense. It's a callback to nothing. <laughs> An extremely literal callback to nothing, where it's sort of like, uh, as I always say, as you mean, as you say, like, right now, this one <laughs> right. You Also, he never said it to her. <laughs> no, he only ever said it with, as you, oh yeah, because he was, uh, he's saying it with the kids listening, so... For her, this is this is her saying it. it's like it's like I always say, Galley, check under your left toe. You've never said that to me in your life. I... Yeah, no, <laughs> so silly. But then they go into um arguably the most memorable song of the movie. Substitutiary locomotion. Yes, or as we all <laughs> might remember it. Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer music video. Chaguna, McCoy, Chakorn, Satisty. With a bunch of stuff from the 70s flying around. Yeah, yeah, with uh, inanimate objects just deciding to move around and dance and like. Because it starts off innocuously ish enough with just the shoes, but then as it turns out, we find the spell is far more far reaching. It has enchanted a bunch of clothes in the house, including uh, Charlie's pants, Miss Price's nightgown, a pair of gloves, I think a couple of Carrie's dresses. Once again, the sorcerer's apprentice. like accidentally animates inanimate objects beyond their control but i like how everyone's having a really good time yeah in this case it just turned into kind of a fun little dance party and then like shoes kicking nazis which is what you want well that happens later on what actually happens here is a nightgown assaults a man of the church that's fair a nightgown assaults a man of the church which i don't know if you do want that 
It depends on the church, I suppose. I did think it was very funny because, you know, the vicar, of course, falls down out of surprise and Miss Price runs out of the house, grabs her nightgown back and yells at him. Do you mind? Yeah. I, okay. I don't remember when this happened, but I wrote a note that said, uh, nobody has ever uttered, go on, give us some juggling as seriously. Exactly. So after this whole thing, um, they are eating dinner, which is cooked oh, by yes. Emilius Brown, and he offers to distract them from their woes with some juggling because Miss Price is a little bit sad because the spell worked, but she wasn't, I mean, to be fair, she wasn't quite able to control it. So it's like, okay, yeah, it worked, but it's not like what I, I need. Yeah, she and, had a Mickey moment. Yeah, so he's trying to be all cool, calm, and collected uh, Mr. Entertainer Man by juggling, and he steps on a cat's tail. Cool, calm, collected juggling. And drops an apple into a bowl of gravy, which of course gets all over him. And it's like, I have a couple questions about this. Number one, why did you not check to make sure? Because he says, I'm not used to juggling with cats under my feet. Check your surroundings. And number two, why does he think that's the way to clean your face? Because he doesn't like wipe it off. He kind of weirdly dabs these massive quantities of gravy on his face. Yeah, he he takes the uh, makeup application route. Yes, being like ooh, let me let me absorb the gravy into my face. It is now my foundation. Yeah, he he basically needs a blender, a beauty, <laughs> beauty blender, blender. Um, beauty gravy blender. We're interrupted though. We're interrupted by the uh, Mrs. Oh God, Hop Hop Day. She's come to tell yeah. Miss Price that she's got good news for her, and that is that. Um, they found somewhere, as per her request, they found somewhere better for the kids to live. Yeah, good news. The kids that you've had for 24 hours can now be adopted immediately. I hope you didn't form any type of supernatural bond with them. No, um, of course not. And the kids interrupt by basically saying, no, we're going to stay here because we have a dad now with Mr. Brown. Just puts him right on the spot. Yeah, just gonna call out the age difference again like i hope you like your father dying when you're 32 i also really like that um you're 32 there's also a war happening he could die right now oh he's Uh, probably gonna die like we haven't even gotten to that part not yet probably gonna die earlier (laughs) i do like that miss price gives him a graceful exit though she basically instead of you know trying to have a discussion she says maybe he has you know other stuff going on in his life and that's when Mr. Brown is like, I gotta go. It's been real. It's been fun. But it's time for me to run, run, run. Yeah. Why do kids in these movies always assume that a male figure immediately equals their new daddy? I don't know. For the same reason that they do the same thing with a new woman. Mommy. Yeah. Like, new. No. No. But... <laughs> Um, so Amelius Brown just runs off and goes to the train station, preparing to get the first train back to London, which we find out isn't coming until the morning. But, um, so he takes a nap. He, <laughs> he just... naps by in the train station. He does. And two things happen. One, we see that there is a tiny little invasion of Nazis coming in from the beach. And two, we go back to Mr. Brown and there is a moment on the train tracks with Eglantine Price in the costume 
And it's one of those things where it's like this callback would have once again made a little bit more sense if with a flare had been left in the movie. Yeah. Because we do see a brief allusion to this in her um, when he does the whole thing uh, in the library. But with a flare really just adds more to his character. Yeah, I wrote, what is this vision? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's the vision that like the quote unquote old version of, of himself wanted to see. Yeah. Because then he has a discussion with himself where he's like, you're a failure, Emilius Brown, and a coward. He could. He's basically like, you could be at that house right now, like actually making something of yourself. There was people that wanted you. There was people that needed you. And you chose to run away. Who is your daddy and what does he do? I I guess he hangs out at the train tracks and abandons Stares me. at things. Um, but here's where we see the Nazis starting to make their move. Um, they come up onto the train station and he punches a Nazi, which is everyone wants to punch a Nazi. Everyone does want to punch a Nazi, but I... This whole invasion felt like such a subplot to me. It was such a subplot. <laughs> And I want to know if it's the kind of subplot that now makes right-wing idiots boycott this movie. I just don't feel like there's enough of the it in the movie for them to care. I don't know, because what there is is, like, it's pretty, they make it very obvious based on, like, they speak German, they're like, we are Nazis, we're wearing a Nazi uniform, they say Nazi a bunch of times. Oh, no, I meant that, like, the majority of the movie isn't even focused on the Nazis. Oh, no, I know. But anything now where, you know, you know what I mean. There's all this crazy oh, yeah. like, you can't show people punching Nazis. Like, this movie is very anti-Nazi, as it should be. I wonder how mad people get about that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really want to meet those people because then I'll just get in an argument with them about Portobello Road and... True. And then I'll have to... I mean, rightfully, I'll have to punch them in the face. That's yes how it should be. But what happens instead is he decides to go back and help Miss Price. But she it definitely needs it because the Nazis have come straight for her house. Yeah. I the Nazis go straight for her house and they have a little bit of a like inglorious bastards moment where yeah. they come in and they basically um take uh Eglantine and the kids hostage and are like no, no, no. You should stay here while we go about our Nazi business. Uh, and she wants to turn him into a rabbit. Just to show him who's boss. But there's there's a problem with that in that, you know, as we all know, her memory is just not very good. Her memory is not very good. And this is why sorcerers have spell books. Exactly. And that's why she needs her spell book. But she doesn't have it right now. So when she tries to turn him into rabbit, it doesn't work. And then she's like, hey, Charlie, could you be a lamb and go to the... Did you just go grab that for me? And as he goes to get it, the Nazis are like, uh, yeah, you can't leave this room. Yeah. Who would have thought that that would have happened? Right? So they grab him. <sighs> Excuse me, guys. They grab him. And then Carrie and Paul are like, don't grab my brother. So now there's a massive tussle happening. And I like how the Nazi leader just loses his, he just is like, being quiet! And yeah. everyone does, including the kids. Everyone is like, fine. Fine! Fine, I guess I'll listen to the men that are probably threatening my life. Yeah, so instead of killing them, they, he's like, get them out of here. 
So it was around this point in the movie that I wrote a note that this is not a plot that wraps up in 15 minutes. Uh-uh. 15 minutes until the end of the movie and the Nazis literally just started invading. Yeah. And um, they're not just like, again, they're not just getting rid of somebody right then. They're taking them down to the museum. Yeah. Like the plot continues. <laughs> and just as they leave, Mr. Brown comes back to the house and tries to get into the workroom to cast a spell where he encounters cosmic creepers and instead of just leaving this cat alone he tries to silence them and i just don't know why you would do that because i don't think that silencing a cat's ever going to go well for you Uh, yeah if you try to silence any animal but especially a cat that's not going to listen uh-uh especially the way that he does it which is to go over and like put his hand over this cat's face (laughs) no (laughs) it's just Cats are surprisingly not birds. You can't no. just put a dark cloth over their face and they'll go to sleep. No, it's going to rebel against having a hand put over its face. But um, mm-hmm. Mr. Brown, he gets into the workroom. He tries to cast the rabbit spell on himself so that he can get out before the Nazis kill him because they'll you know, find a human. And I love that he has to, he fails the spell once and all he has to do is give himself one pep talk and he can do magic. That's how it works if you're a middle-aged white man. I need his motivational speeches. Yeah. (laughs) You can do it. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, universe. (laughs) And then he does it. He he turns himself into a rabbit and uses that to break out of Miss Price's house, run all the way down to the museum, and get into the museum. So his spell lasts a really long time. Yeah, arguably he's actually better at this. Yeah. Than she is, because it took him one and a half tries. Yeah, and it lasted a long I'm sorry, I keep, I cannot stop yawning. I've had a migraine for days and it it makes my body really tired. So I cannot stop yawning. Um That's yeah, okay he, because we are getting near the end of are. this. <laughs> and he, he manages to get in, and speaking of his motivational speeches, um the kids were telling Miss Price to use substitutionary locomotion on the armor in there. And she's like, the old spell's not ready. And he comes in and is like, you should do what the kids say. And all of a sudden she's like, okay. Yeah. Suddenly the spell is ready. What was up with that? I don't know. And it's not only ready, but it like, it works fucking perfectly. This is, I feel like this was the point where the writers were like, oh shit, how many pages have we written? Oh, we got to wrap this up now, guys. We got to wrap this up. And no one went back to like edit the pacing for this. No. Because not only does she suddenly believe in herself and her spell just works and she can animate the armor that she can see. But like you said in your summary, she somehow manages to find and animate all of this empty armor within a 30 mile radius. Yeah, because it's not just the stuff we see in the museum. Suddenly there's like, I believe, you know, the British redcoats. Um, There's some Scottish... There's some Scottish armsmen, there's archers, there is an executioner, there are more than one mounted troop. There's all of King Arthur's knights. Yeah, it's incredible. It goes on for a really long time. So she's not only mastered the spell, she has mastered it to a point where it's hard to describe because they're also all acting autonomously, but still under her guidance. Yeah, so... We get this phenomenal shot of the Nazis, a small band of Nazis, I would say, looking at uh, a horrifying scene in front of them of 300 um, 
probably closer to 3,000 animated pieces of armor, but just like uh-huh. this, this medieval army going against them. And this must be why Hitler believed in the occult and how he got so much further into it. Maybe. Uh, because we we also have about seven minutes left of this film. There's not a lot of time left, and we've just started the battle. Yeah, we just start to get to watching Nazis versus empty armor hijinks. Which is a very fun moment. I actually do kind of like it. It is fun. I would watch Nazis losing to empty armor any day. My... I just wish it was earlier in the film. <laughs> I agree. But I I think one of my favorite parts of this whole segment is where a Nazi is stuck on the leg portion only of uh, armor and is so fucking fed up with being marched in the wrong direction. He's just yelling at his friends. Help me, damn it. Help me. Help yes. me. He's not even scared. He's just like, seriously, this is ridiculous. Get me out. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I do too. And I also think that as like silly as this weirdly is as a sentiment, I think I bet you that armor was stoked to fight again. I bet they were like, fucking yes. Oh, it yeah. is time to ride. Oh, I mean, how many of us have not picked up a piece of cursed armor and have the armor whisper in our mind? Yes wear me use me against the evil (laughs) i played diablo yeah that's how this works yeah but um we're really really lucky because at the exact same time that miss price falls out of the sky because the nazis machine gun shot at her yes we uh we we need to mention this she was on a broom in the sky (laughs) she was flying in the sky commanding the troops something that she had done at the beginning and not well um so now she's doing great And as they're retreating, as the Nazis are retreating, their final act of protest is to fire up at Miss Price and knock her out of the sky. You can only take a witch out with explosives. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's like a zombie. How do you kill a witch? Only when she's on her broom and only with machine gun fire. Yeah. But, and that's, I, I still think it's really funny that they don't bother to see um, whether or not they actually hit her or not. Like, they're like, well, we're retreating anyway. We may as well try and blast her out of the sky. But it works. Like, all the armor is dead now. They don't, they don't, that's it. Yeah, they don't check that she's fine or, or that she's fully dead. And Carrie uh, also makes a little bit of an offhanded comment with, we thought they damaged you. I like actually kind was of an object. <laughs> think that's exactly. I thought that was funny too, where it was like, as you said, you're not a person. Surprise, we thought they damaged you, you know, our meal ticket. Yeah, our meal ticket. <laughs> I, I, okay, so this is when the movie kind of just goes, we're going to wrap it all up. Yeah, we're done now. <laughs> we're finished. We ran out of film. I just kept asking what 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 because in quick summary uh-huh they suddenly decide um uh eglantine decides okay we need to put everything towards the war effort i'm going to stop trying to be a witch mm-hmm. even though she could have successfully been a witch yep so she decides to throw that away completely emilius oh. brown who is in his 50s is like "Ooh, i need to really help the war effort and go enlist 
and go off to war, supposedly to be a frontline soldier, which means this man is definitely going to die. With the soldiers of the old home guard. It, it, at least then they would have stayed home. That, that's I true. know. I don't know. But it, he, as you know, you're right. He went off to war. There are still five more years left in, in this war. Yeah. And if we're doing the timing right, this means the Cree, like the Blitz is also like just starting. <laughs> yes. So in they're London? literally about to get into the worst of possibly yeah but it's okay because everyone's happy and everything he gives miss price a big long kiss before heading off to war and um he paul reveals to them that he's still got the bed knob and i'm like why wouldn't you that's like the number one object that i would make sure i never lost yeah yeah it's it ends it ends that's the the end of the movie i again I enjoyed the movie as a kid. I I just don't know what the point was. So I, I immediately want to launch into our question then, like, did you like and do you recommend it? Because I have a feeling you're going to explain both of both of those things in that in, in your answer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Let me uh let me just adjust myself so I'm on mm-hmm. my soapbox. Um 50-50 for me for both of these things. Mm-hmm. I liked the journey of this movie. If I didn't think too hard about it. Okay. For that same reason, I would recommend the movie if you don't think too hard about it and you just want to enjoy the journey. Like Angela Lansbury, David Tomlinson, they are both absolutely fabulous and delightful. The delightful. And they are acting their butts off and it's great. The, the this movie has a lot of kind of old school charm with it when you watch it but i just can't get past the plot holes mm-hmm. and the fact that um there are so many points of this movie that were just completely meaningless to the overarching plot mm-hmm. portobello road could have been a three-minute song and it could have ended with them finding something to then lead them to uh the bookman you know instead I will- of there was a very, very tiny thing where um, uh, Emilius and Eglantine are talking to a book merchant where they say, we're looking for the other half of this book. It's called The Spells of Astaroth. And then uh, Swinburne, the creepy guy with the knife, you see him look over from the other end of the stall. So there is a tiny yeah. tie-in um, there, but I, I do see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Like that could have happened at the end of the song. Yeah. And then it would have been like, oh, okay, that's why you guys went through Portobello Road, didn't see everything. And then at the end, you find the stall master and he leaves you. Well, you know, that's how you get um, evil man showing up. Stabby, stabby, Mr. Man. Then going into the animated world <laughs> was just useless because then they yes. can't leave with this, anything that would have helped them move the plot along. So it was just like, it's, so it's fun. It's a fun movie as a kid. Super fun to watch. Yes. But that's my that's my impassioned take on this movie. I also one more thing I do want to end on. I am glad that I rewatched this movie. I am glad that you added this to the list. It's a, I I I I think it's fun. <laughs> yeah. So please I I got my soapbox. Let me relinquish it to you. 
So I like and recommend this movie, but I specifically would like to caveat that I think you should look for the extended version that was released, not the original 71. I know that we were talking about length, but I do think that in this case, the longer cut is better. It adds in a few moments of clarity, like we were talking about seeing a few moments of Miss Price's magic faltering. We see a little bit more character building on David Tomlinson. I think there's also, you said, a slightly extended um, uh, interaction with uh, the vicar. There's Mm -hmm. just a couple more moments that give the movie a little bit more character and clarity. But overall, I I really personally like it. I'm willing to get over some of the plot holes because I think it's just fucking ridiculous. And I'm like, dude, whatever, I've got it. But I understand where they're a bit of a a non-starter for you. However, I do like it. I think it's really fun. I think the songs are fun. As you said, Angela Lansbury and David Tomlinson give a great performance. And honestly, the three child actors, I I think they do really well too. As far as they go, I actually think that their characters are are not bad. I think they're, I think it's good. I like it. Yeah. And I think that that's totally fair. And that's exactly why the two of us are hosting mm-hmm. this show together is so that we can have differing opinions on things. Exactly. And really, it's up to you, the listener, to listen to us, but then form your own opinion. Yes, we're giving you homework. We're um, giving you homework. <laughs> speaking of homework, what are we what are we next? Uh, we, yeah. Well, next week, we are getting back into the swing of animation and mm-hmm. probably be sticking with the animation for the rest of this current era of the podcast i think so i think so um with the classic tale of uh humanoid animals robin hood oodle cannot wait for robin hood Yes, um, this one. I do I, this like one, him. I'm very excited about. I do like Robin Hood, but yeah. Any anything else for bed knobs, broomsticks? What? I've got a lovely piece of string. Lovely bit of string. Lovely bit of string. I'm gonna go uh, do. I'm gonna go get some myself. I need. I I need more headache medicine, but I'm I'm gonna go grab some of that. But I'm gonna do it with a flare. Do it with a flare. Okay. So long. Glamour Boys. So long, Glamour Boys! Damsels Who Discuss is created and produced by Crow's Nest's podcast. Your hosts are Gally Articola and Alexia Thurumalai. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash damselswhodiscuss, all one word. On Instagram at instagram.com slash damselswhodiscuss, all one word again. And on Twitter at twitter.com slash damselswhodisco, because Twitter has a character limit. Or you can also email us at damselswhodiscuss at gmail.com. So long, Glamour Boys! So long, Glamour Boys! (laughs) 